Jamie. And I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and today, wow, is going to be a fantastic conversation, I am sure, because we are talking about the 2006 American mockumentary black comedy slasher film as described by Wikipedia, (laughs) Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. So you mentioned most of the guys in your line of work today are uh, hacks. I'm not talking about the guys that really worked hard, like Jay, Fred, Mike. There weren't nobody like them in the early years. We just hit hard, wiped everybody out, and disappeared as soon as we could without ever giving a thought to coming back. Those boys lifted it to a whole other level. They made an art form of it, turned themselves into legends by returning like a curse over and over again. That was a radical change in philosophy. Changed the whole business. The business of supernatural killing sprees. She's not exactly on board yet with the whole why we do what we do thing. Holy, guys, what a ride we are about to be on, if only for me to just express my feelings while watching this movie. So great. (laughs) So this movie is directed by Scott Glosserman, and this movie stars Nathan Basil, Angela Gothels, Scott Wilson, Zelda Rubenstein, and, of course, Robert England, because why not have Freddy Krueger in this movie, which is fantastic because we were talking about The Nightmare on Elm Street, our last episode. So I think this is a sign that we need to go ahead and kind of get into, you know, watching and going through these movies because they're just spectacular. Mm-hmm. So uh, before I kick it over to our producer, Brian, to introduce a special guest that we have yes. on the podcast. We have a special guest. Mm-hmm. Yes. Our mm-hmm. first in another time zone. Very exciting. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, you may have seen him on TikTok or on Instagram or wherever you absorb your content. We have Joshua Bragg of Haunting Season here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you. That's this is so fun. I'm already having fun. <laughs> um, oh, just wait. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we love what you're doing, so we're super happy you can join us. But more importantly, you picked the movie this week, and none of us had seen it before. So this is kind of you like introducing this. First of all, not only was this movie the perfect pick just in general, but like the perfect pick for this group and this podcast and what we're trying to do. So like, absolutely. Um, I'm sure uh, it was awesome, but uh, yeah, I'll pass it back to Nikisha. I know she's got a couple questions for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously heavy spoilers. We're going to be talking everything. Leslie Vernon or whatever his last name was. Manchucha. <laughs> I, I, don't, I forgot it already, but he is Leslie Vernon to me. So I'm going to keep it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously there are going to be some trigger warnings with this. Jamie, would you like to express that? 
them to us. Sure. Um, yeah, another gory slasher flick. We got more insides on the outside uh, per, per usual. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, a lot of like uncomfortable references to planning out and plotting uh, serial murder. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not for everyone. Um, again, more references to urban legends if that is unsettling to you. This might not be for you. Um, but yeah, mostly just real, just more gory, gory gore. Gory, gore, gore. All of mm-hmm. the outsides, insides things happening. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, Joshua, we're so happy to have you uh, on the podcast. Could you just give us kind of a brief explanation of your relationship with horror? What got you interested in it? Oh, um, well, I don't know. I've always liked being scared. Um I grew up in a church. My dad's a minister and I spent a lot of like late nights in a dark church while he was in meetings, kind of adventuring around the church basement and trying to find (laughs) weird stuff to do and playing in the cemetery at night. Um, And so, but it wasn't, well, and I liked being scared as a kid. Like I really enjoyed, um, I mean, to me, E.T. was really scary. So I loved, you know, watching E.T. and getting frightened, but then falling in love with the creature. And I think that was like my first kind of creature feature, even though it's like a family, you know, drama. Is it a drama? Adventure. Um, Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't really until like middle school that I discovered horror proper. Um, I think Signs and the ring came out the same year and I saw them both in the theater Mm. and I don't remember which one I saw first, but I thought it was the ring, but I haven't checked the dates on that. Um, but the ring definitely left more of a horror impression on me. And I was in love after that. I I saw it after every scary thing I could watch. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. I mean, the trajectory of church ministry to horror makes absolute total sense. Yeah, supernatural to supernatural. Yeah, totally get it. I'm right there with you. (laughs) So we have to ask all of our guests, what is your favorite scary movie? Is it this movie that we're watching or is it something else? Well, oh man, that's so hard. I I was just watching... um, Oh, what was I watching? Oh, I was watching that new Nick Cage movie, um, The Unbearable Weight of uh, Massive Talent or Mm. whatever. Um, And there's a moment where they're like on acid or or maybe it's before they do acid. I don't remember. But they're riding in the car and they're like, what's your favorite movie? And it spreads over like several scenes because Nick Cage gives this little monologue. This is not really spoiling anything um, about how it's like, well, you know, like what kind of movie? What mood am I in? You know, and I kind of feel the same way about horror. My go-to is always The Thing, um, but I would watch The Ring any day of the week, any mood, um, and so I think really ultimately that one's my favorite. Um, and there's probably five or six others that would contest at any given point in time for best, but I, The yeah. Ring is like a comfort movie for me. It's like I would put on when I'm sick and like just need to like relax into a warm blanket. The, the Ring <laughs> is my blanket. Mm. That's the cozy blanket of uh, the warm water spilling out of the television. Yeah, yeah, you know, like horses being destroyed by the backs of fairies. And... Listen, we all have our comforts, and we don't judge. You know, <laughs> do what you need to do. Uh, now, also, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, now, I do want to hear about haunting season um, because that is how you and Brian connected. So can you tell us about that, what it is, everything about it? (laughs) Yeah, it started as an experiment in 2013, um, on YouTube. Uh, I was working at a small production company and we had a lot of, uh, downtime, I guess I would say. (laughs) And, um, my friend Matt 
who I worked with there, uh, he is kind of this like back end YouTube wizard. And he had noticed that there wasn't really anything horror on YouTube at that point. Uh, Creepypasta was just starting to become a thing. And um, he was like, I think we should do something with horror. And we bounced around a couple of ideas and we came up with the, the, the name Haunting Season. And the first thing I did was tell a story about when um, a couple of friends of mine, we broke into an old age home that had burnt down and uh, went exploring late at night and thought we saw something. And I had footage on a on an old DV tape that had gone missing and eventually resurfaced because of all of this, um, which is so cool that it, we actually found it. It was like at the bottom of a basket of shoes at my friend's mom's house. And he just like randomly found it. I don't know, maybe it's cursed. Um, and so I put that up and I got 27,000 views in like 48 hours, um, wow. which was like kind of unheard of for YouTube. It kind of still is unheard of for YouTube unless you're like, you know, Philip DeFranco. I don't even know who the cool people are anymore. Cause I'm like referencing 2013. But yeah, so I ran out of stories after like story three or four or five, you know, of like personal stories that I was embellishing and like leaning into. And I really liked it. So I just kept writing horror stories and I did it every week for two years. And then I got super burnt out. I went through a divorce. Mm -hmm. I moved across the country. I got my dream job. Um, and so for seven years did nothing with the property. And I came back seven years later, um, because at work we were talking, we were, we're all, um, we're all visual artists who um, have come together to work uh, with, we work in rare diseases and create advocacy videos and, and tell patient stories and that sort of thing. But in our hearts, we're all storytellers. And, um, you know, we've gotten to the point where we're like, okay, how do we get back into entertainment proper where it's like, you know, the stories that we want to tell. And I pitched haunting season as, um, as a podcast to kind of like, try it again because there were still 16,000 people there and, and people were still messaging me like, are you alive? Cause I just ghosted. I, I was so mm -hmm. embarrassed that I got burnt out. Um, and I was not really well connected to my own mental health. So I just disappeared and I tried mm -hmm. not to look at it for seven years. And when I came back, there was just like pages and pages and pages of notes from people being like, I hope you're okay. Like, I really miss you. Mm -hmm. I'm getting like kind of teary talking about it. And yeah. I sat one day, well, I sat one week <laughs> And went through and replied to every single one of them when the show like restarted just to see if like anybody was there. Um, and a bunch of people followed back. And then mm -hmm. I discovered TikTok and that has been where the real success has been this past year. I posted every day for a year um, from pretty much like January to January. And um, I have like a quarter of a million people following me on there. Um, and I don't know what to do other than just to keep going. Yeah, um, yes. But yeah, that's, that's where I'm at now is making one minute content instead of 20 minute content. And, mm -hmm. um, and well, it's doing better. That's where we found you and your, your TikTok content is like chef's kiss. Like, I, like you, you got one of the first couple of times you got me, I was like, I just watched the same video three times because it looped, but I love this. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the first person to think about loops. I saw other people doing it. I was like, I bet I could do that a little bit better. It was awesome. Um, it's great. Fantastic. Yeah, so I, I, working in uh, documentaries and being a camera operator myself, uh, I take a lot of pride in my editing and my and the way that I shoot yeah. it and the lighting and everything. Yeah, your stuff pops on TikTok, just like the quality of it for sure. Um but uh, we're super excited to have you here. So should we uh, should we uh, figure out what this plot is? Who wants to do the two minute plot summary? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Does our guest? I, 
I did. Is it, it a no time, spoilers but... plot summary? Because no, that's hard. No. Yeah. What's the plot? Do I have to do it? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I was hoping it wouldn't be me, so I didn't prepare in any way. Um, That's the best. Go. Are you, the best, you're going to yeah. time it too, I'm right? I'm going to time it. Just know that 90% of the time, we spend a minute and a half on the first 10 minutes of the movie. So. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm a storyteller. Yeah. Let's, Let's do go. this. <laughs> yeah, give me like a 10-second warning at the end. Yeah. I'll start speeding sure. up really quickly. Ready, Go. Behind the Mask, Leslie Ver- The Rise of Leslie Vernon is about a young, uh, well, slasher killer. He wants to be the next big, amazing slasher killer. And he uh, kind of knows and honors uh, some of the famous people like, um, you know, Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and even Chucky. Um, and all of these characters are a part of this mockumentary uh, that is being filmed by, well, in the movie, it's a documentary being filmed by a group of, I think they're film students, or I don't know if that was just a knock at them, but I think they're film students, young people with cameras. And uh, they're following around Leslie as he prepares his first big, like, real stab, pun intended, at being the next big slasher killer. And he's adorable. He's lovely. He's wonderful in every way. And you just love him. And as the movie goes on, and this is where the spoilers come in. Uh, as the movie goes on, you start to realize that as his plot is planned out and as things start to happen in the way that he wants them to happen, we jump into a cinematic universe where we see the movie unfolding in front of our eyes. And the deeper we get into this documentary, the deeper we get into the cinematic universe until at the end, we're finally fully in it in a slasher movie for the last 20 minutes of the film. In this movie, you will see uh, all kinds of cameos from people, way too many to even mention in this short synopsis. Um, but you'll see, uh, you know, the, the I don't know anybody's name, the woman from Poltergeist, you'll see Kane Hodder, I know his name, he's in it. Uh, Robert England plays a large role in it. Um, all kinds of stuff. And there's like little Easter eggs in it. So if you're a true horror fan, a true slasher fan, um, almost every minute of the film has something hidden in it for you to find, including like, I think one of the opening scenes, it has a, a, a pub that is named after the matches that are in the pocket of the guy who's going after Michael Myers. Anyway, it's a wonderful film, incredible documentary, incredible mockumentary, and a great slasher film all wrapped up in one. Nailed it. Yeah. So, good job. Just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be dialing you in for every single time we do that, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and that's the plot. That's great. I'm so glad I rewatched this because I loved it when I first saw it. I recommended it to you guys. I said I would watch it before we recorded. I got sick. I had all the opportunities in the world to watch it. I watched it this afternoon. Yes. <laughs> As long as you watch it. I also watched it this <laughs> afternoon, but hey, we're all just doing we're just trying our best. That's great. Yeah, it's great. Fresh. Here. <laughs> fresh. It's real professional. Yeah, talking horror. We're just trying our best. Fantastic. Well, let's get into everything that is Leslie Vernon with our first segment, likes and gripes. <laughs> And now our likes and gripes. So as Brian mentioned, this is all of our first time watching this. And so let's get into some likes and gripes. Jamie, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I I really liked this movie. I had, you know, it's funny. So I had seen this movie on like all the cues 
all the time. Like I saw it come up on Netflix all the time. And for some reason, I don't know if it's because it has such a lengthy title that I've just never been interested in it. And it just seemed, I was like, no, this is, I'm never going to be in the mood for this. This just seems, you know, I'm, I'm better than this movie. I'll admit Mm. that's what I thought. And then I like sat down to watch it and I was like, holy shit, this movie is so good. It just completely like surpassed my expectations. Um, as, as I mentioned many times, I love a good urban legend. So the fact that like, that is what he is, is, you know, using as his like jumping off point Mm -hmm. of becoming a serial killer. Um, I was like, Oh, I'm all in like, tell me more about this, this story that you're trying to like cultivate and use to be a a serial killer. Um, and, and, and it just really made me wonder, like in terms of human behavior, what is going on with this documentary crew? Like, did they not take it seriously? Like what, like they're, they're, he's talking about all these things that they're just like so outrageous and, and, you know, the, the like ethics and, and morality behind them kind of joining. Like I was on the cusp of, you know, is this, does this bother me in terms of like, this isn't, this just doesn't make sense. Like, why would they be, you know, totally fine with this until, you know, the moment where, where they're actually te- their, I, I would say their values are tested. Um, and, and I think like, there's something so naive about them that I'm, I, you almost are like, okay, like they're bought into it again. He's so charismatic that you, you buy into like why they're willing to kind of let it go as far as they let it go until the turning point. Um, and then like, you know, using the information that they have to try to protect everybody to the best of their abilities, but like they've already gotten got because he's so good. And, and I just thought that that was also the switch from documentary to, to like, you know, normal horror film. Mm -hmm. Um, that was awesome. I, I really enjoyed that. That didn't bother me at all. Um, I wasn't, again, wasn't expecting that was just expecting it to be like, I was like, okay, they're, uh, they're obviously going to get murdered. Right. And just expecting it to like be in documentary form. So when it like switches over, I was like, oh, again, just continuing to surpass my expectations. I didn't know what was going to happen. And, yeah. um, yeah, I, I don't really have, um, a lot of gripes maybe. I mean, again, it's a lot of like, um, you know, uh, like stereotypes in, in horror films, but like, I wish, I wish we knew a little bit more about what was going on with Leslie in terms of like, you know, the, the psychological aspect and like the relationship with his psychiatrist, who's like chasing him down, like in Halloween. Um, but yeah, like I wish there was a little bit more information, but we didn't even need that because that wasn't the point. So, um, that's, that's what I would say is my only great, but all in all, I, I had a great time. Yeah, I'm so glad you loved it. I, I just <laughs> wanted to comment on the um, the believability of the crew doing this. There, mm-hmm. There's an element of them, and again, I don't remember if it's actually just like a, a tossed around slight at them or if they're actually film students, but they are young. And I think there's a lot of pressure when you're doing like a thesis where your uh, professor is like, push harder. Like, what's the real story? What what ground Mm. are you breaking? Go further. And it reminds me of, I think it's Midnight Meat Train, where um, uh, it's a Clive Barker, uh, you know, they turned it into a movie. Um, It's got such a stupid name. It's such a good movie. And um, (laughs) the whole concept of that is... It has something in common with this one, then. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bradley Cooper plays a photographer, and he's like he's gotten in with like one of the top photographers in um you know in the in the in New York City, and she keeps like looking at his work and being like, "You're not saying anything. You're not doing anything. Your work sucks." And his work is amazing, and so he pushes himself to find a real. Um, I, I can't remember if it's just a mugging, but I think it's also a, a sexual assault and photographs it. And then the, the, like the turmoil of having captured that, like it, it like sends him on this trajectory of being a great photographer, but then it also is like really messing with his head. That's another one you guys got to watch if you haven't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian, do you want to comment on your likes and vibes of this? Yeah, I, I, I... I absolutely loved this movie. It just kept surprising me and subverting all of my expectations. It really presents itself as something that is going to be by the numbers mockumentary. Um, and it just really tears that to shreds. It slashes that apart. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think that the gripe I have of this movie is the marketing. I think that I should have watched this 10 years ago and like really enjoyed it. However, I'm really happy I watch it now for the first time because as Jamie and the Keisha know, and, and I, we emailed a little bit about this, Josh, and you're doing the same. I did not grow up on slasher movies at all. Right. During the pandemic is when Jamie and I, Jamie had watched them. But when I was introduced to Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time, Halloween, Candyman, all these movies. So these are all like fresh and I have no nostalgia for them. They're just like, I'm just like kind of fascinated by the history of these and watching the trajectory of all these slashers and how they like pick up momentum. And then the bell curve of a lot of these franchise are chains. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, watching this now, having just watched a lot of those was so fulfilling and fruitful that I really, really dug it. Um, I actually think the MVP of this movie is the ability of the writers, the actors, the DP, the editor to keep tone consistent throughout the whole thing while switching between the kind of um, the campy horror movie narrative and the mockumentary. Like the fact that you're in this serious grounded mockumentary and then you switch to this campy horror movie, but like they balance each other out. So I'm never in my head thinking like, okay, this doesn't make sense because this is supposed to be a quote found footage documentary, but they're flipping into like this narrative story. Like that doesn't, my brain never once questioned that because of how well they transition from one thing to another thing. Um, I am also a person, Josh, I love rules. I love rules in a movie. Like give mm-hmm. me like an escape room movie or something like that has boundaries and rules. And you have to figure something out in that time. This movie is just chock full of rules. The second that this movie said that this takes place in the same universe as all of the other slashers, like you had me at hello, like totally <laughs> like my, my bag um, loved it. I think, um, I, I just I just dug this so much. I did not expect to I expected to like this or at least think it was interesting and fascinating. I did not expect for this to like be one of the better things I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Just to piggyback off of Brian and Jamie, when I first <laughs> turned this movie on, I thought, I think I'm not gonna like this movie. Only because <laughs> the style of humor that it presents in the first couple of minutes technically isn't really my sense of humor. And so I thought that I would kind of be drudging through it. But I just love how it 
it's a love letter to people who love slasher movies. And it's kind of like a reverse scream in a sense, because you have mm-hmm. the how to of everything, but just from the, uh, from the side of the serial killer. And it's, it's fascinating that you also, like Brian said, you get a sense of rules and he lays out the, they lay out the rules of how to survive, <laughs> which I thought was a really fun and interesting <laughs> oh. conversation. <laughs> when he lays out the rules and breaks them, but follows them at the same time to get what he wants. Yes. It's just like, uh, like, Mwah. like, yeah. And, and our main character breaks the rules as well. Exactly. Because then she's told just run like hell. Don't look back. Right. Don't fight. But she fights. And I and I feel like that's that's so amazing because like I said, it, it the beginning of it is so absurdist that my initial thought of what was going to happen is that these kids are just following this guy who's not gonna be a good serial killer, you know. And so it's kind of the idea of Joshua, you saying like, are they believing him or not? Are they taking it seriously or not? Or I think Jamie mentioned that. And in the beginning, it seems like yeah, they're not going to take him seriously because he's, this This is like a really nice person and kind of a goofball and you feel like he's not going to be successful in this. So it's easy to kind of follow him because you think he's not going to be successful. And it's really interesting, and we'll talk about this in kind of the human behavior aspect of it, of when they actually see him kill the librarian or that kind of scene and there wasn't really a shift until they were all in the house and seeing all of those kids being killed that they're saying, oh shit, okay, this is actually real. We need to figure out this is the moment if we're going to help or or just run like hell and run away. Uh, so yeah, it, it was absurdist, but grounded at the same time, kind of like Brian was saying, it's just those two uh, things that are a, truly a testament to the writers in this. And I, I, again, I love how it's making fun of itself. And (laughs) I love the line of him giving all of the quote unquote industry terms and she not knowing what it is like (laughs) a survival girl. Okay. Who's the survival girl? He's like, Oh, well that's an industry term. So that means (laughs) she's the virgin and you know, blah, 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 blah. And then the twist of that, he wasn't even following that girl in the first place. He was following Taylor the whole time. I think it was just fantastic and like uh joshua was saying i love all of the other little easter eggs that you get from those who are obsessed with uh horror and yeah it just it it was a it was a great time (laughs) i i had a really great time and i was not expecting to uh to have that especially in the sense of you know humanizing kind of serial killers and stuff and we'll get into kind of the the meat and potatoes of that but yeah, it, it was just a, it was a really good time. Joshua, can you tell us uh, kind of why you suggested this movie for this podcast and kind of your own personal love and likes for this? Yeah, this this was a movie that came to me by um, I don't remember who, but I know I shouted them out when I did the review on TikTok. Um, someone on TikTok was like just berating me with like, you got to watch this movie. You got to watch this movie. And I was like, Oh God. And I had the same reaction. I was like, okay, I'm looking at the movie poster. I'm like looking at the synopsis. I'm like, Oh man. Ah. All right. Cause you know, like sometimes someone recommends something to you and they truly love it. And there's a great reason for that because they connected on it like in a human level with it. And it's just, they love it. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to take away anybody's love of anything, but sometimes I'll watch that movie 
And I'm like, oh, I yeah, okay, I get why you love it, but oh man, this is not my thing. Like Terrifier, um, people. There was another one, like, oh, you gotta watch Terrifier, you gotta watch Terrifier. And I get a lot of people who are like trying to get me to watch like the most disgusting horror movies because that's <laughs> what they that. like. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm just not. I'm a story guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, I was, and I, I had the same reaction the first couple minutes of this. I was like, oh, okay, this is gonna be super hokey. And I was like, okay, yeah, I know exactly who likes this kind of movie. Made all these judgments <laughs> yeah. and everything. I'm the guy who likes this movie. I can't stop talking about it. <laughs> I think it's such a great film. I, he's my all-time favorite slasher. Um, <laughs> yes. I, you know, like it goes like Leslie Vernon, then Ghostface, and then like I don't know Freddy Krueger. You know, I, I just love him so much. And so one of my main <laughs> gripes is there's no sequel. There's no sequel. Right. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. One. And some I, I've talked to some people about this in in my lives. Um, and they've said that they're like, th- this movie was made because of a Kickstarter and there were people who love this movie who contributed to it and, and saw it come like come out so well and have so many famous horror icons in them. Um, and just are begging for another one and they did another Kickstarter, but didn't make the money. And so it never happened. Hmm. Oh, um, I think it's a huge tragedy. Um, should I just keep going with my gripes and, and likes? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Um, and, well, I'll do all my gripes first because there aren't many. Um, I, as always in in all of these found footage movies, I find the camera crew to be the least believable characters in the entire plot. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the people you don't see who are behind the camera. It's like fucking. Top. It's like they didn't even. Yeah, it's like they didn't even write the lines. It's like they just decided to throw in lines later, and they're obviously like voiced over. And I see this in every single. One, I, like maybe I haven't seen Cloverfield in a really long time. I remember feeling connected to that camera, um, mm. well, you know, the guy who supposedly was holding the camera. Um, but other than that, I think for the most part, um, that that's my biggest gripe with any found footage is like put more, just put a little bit more into the camera guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the sound guy. Yes. That's a good um, one. And then I also thought maybe the pacing in the last like 15 minutes could have been slightly tighter. And that might be um, just like a time period thing, you know, like I, I think early 2000s had different pacing than we do now. Now everything's boom, boom, boom. So sure. I might just be like regulated to that. And I also was like kind of finishing up work while I was watching this this afternoon. And I don't remember feeling that the first time around. So maybe we strike that. Um, <laughs> That's fair. What I love, I love that he knows magic. It's like one of the first few things you learn about <laughs> Leslie Vernon. Yes. He's like, I can do a magic trick. And he's like, do you have a deck of cards? Why would I have a deck of cards? Check your front pocket. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's the perfect introduction to this character because it's like he's sneaky as hell. Yes. Um, but he's also incredibly charming. Um, yeah, big Ant-Man vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, I love all the cameos. Um, I love how it jumps into the cinematic universe and like with the music and everything. And you just don't even think about it. You're just like there. And it's this magic thing that happens, even when it's like foreshadowing and they're like making the plan kind of like Ocean's Eleven style. Mm -hmm. You're getting like a version of it, but it's not the final version of it. Right. yeah, and I, I just love how serious it gets right before it goes full slasher. You have the the scene where he's putting on the the uh, fire retardant preparation mm-hmm. H on his forehead <laughs> and and his face makeup, and and it starts to get really dark, and you start to feel really unsettled, and you're not a hundred percent sure why, you know, and it's just like happening to you. It's that's it's just magic. It's just magic how they pulled that off. Yeah, a lot of Joker vibes. 
when I was watching that kind of that transition into, okay, here we are, we're going full balls to wall slasher. This is happening and we're all about to witness it. I also love how you mentioned, uh, Josh, that you do get, you get one version of the outcome. And we all know that that's not, that's not going to be what's going to happen. Something is going to go awry in the plan, but you don't know exactly what it is. And the fact that it's, they're not, he's not even focused really on those teenagers in the first place. It's just wild to kind of comprehend when you're going through it and, and walking through it in real time. It's great. Yeah. It was something that popped out to me that you were just saying um, before I started talking um, about they, they don't even think about when they kill the woman from Poltergeist in the library, the librarian. Yeah. It doesn't bother them. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking about like, well, they're not worried about Robert England either. And, and is mm. that like a statement about ageism and how youth um, like look at older people like as invaluable, yeah. you know, I, I never thought of that before, but they're the only older people in the film other than, and the, the friend of Leslie who we spend time with him and his wife, I forget who mm-hmm. that was. Yes. Eugene. Um, Eugene. Yeah. Eugene, but we only value them because we have the personal connection through Leslie who we mm. adore. Mm. Right. That's yeah. a, that's interesting. Cause that's, that's actually a gripe that I also have that I totally forgot is, I wasn't, and maybe this is just a first time watch gripe, but I wasn't totally clear on, is this the first time he's killing? Has he killed before? Is this the first time he's putting together a show for it? Like it, cause like he made friends with Eugene. Oh, like he married a final girl. Love that little, mm, uh, yeah. that little, um, <laughs> but like yeah. that whole, and his whole monologue about how they, how these killers coming back from the dead changed the game was freaking spectacular. But like, yeah. I just wanted a little bit more, maybe this is just me and I like rules and backstory and narrative and all that fun stuff. But like, I wanted a little bit more of like, okay, at what point in Leslie's career, if we, you will, um, are we, I, I, it was that part of the, the grift on them on the crew in terms of like, he's actually way more advanced than they even thought is that maybe that's part of how the twist, like subconsciously that's how the twist is able to be a twist because like, we're Mm. totally not sure of like truly how advanced he is, you know, like, like the hustler or something like that. Um, So that's, that's definitely, so now I talk it out loud. Maybe it's not a great, maybe it's actually a like um, of that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah cool. I think it, I think it had to be his first time because um, he's doing it in the town where he drowned. Right. And right. if it was his second time around, like everyone would be like, Oh, it's Leslie Vernon. Like, Oh, Leslie's striking again. But he had to like lay the, the groundwork in the library. He hadn't replaced the false story yet mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. I bet something in where do you, where's he's from Las Vegas or Nevada. They said, yeah, I bet Nevada. I, mm-hmm. I probably did some <clears throat> dirty things there and then, and like, then moved to Maryland. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he's killed before, but he hasn't been a slasher before. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Love it. Yeah. All fantastic. Well, let's get into the nitty gritty of it in our mm, brains section. (laughs) (laughs) And discuss some of these, which we've already have been talking about some human behavior aspects of this, but uh, let's kind of get into some more of that. There's a lot to discuss, especially with Leslie, but uh, Joshua, actually, I'm going to kick it back over to you. And if you have some uh, talking points and stuff about human behavior and mental illness in this movie. 
Yeah, the the thing that stood out most to me on this watch was um, the parallel to how we as Americans have a toxic relationship with work. And it's not just with Leslie, but it's also with the documentary crew. And as someone who works um, as a documentarian, that's my day job, um, the, it, it just like, I don't know, really stood out this time. Um, yeah. And, and I think also because I've been seeing a lot of stuff on TikTok recently about like, you know, how Americans like our, our whole view of life is, is work until you die, you know, work as hard as you can. Don't take breaks. Just go, go, go until you're, you're a, a legacy, you know, you've le- left your giant legacy behind. And that's exactly what Leslie's doing. He's physically training his body. He's, you know, rigging every single trap he can. He's coming up with a scenario, like a solution to every single scenario. Um, and that's how a lot of us live our lives. And then on top of that, you've got the documentary crew, who is throughout the film becoming less and less sure that they're doing the right thing by making this documentary um, up until the point it's too late. And the fact that it gets to the point where it's too late is just such like a clear metaphor of like how, I don't know, we, we as modern people just like destroy our minds and our bodies for the sake of the, the greater machine. Absolutely. Well, it's definitely the, the hustle culture. Uh, especially I would say in our generation with any line of work, it's the, we're not going to stop because there's always a ladder to climb and we want to keep climbing that ladder to whatever is next. And it seems like there's no amount of money that causes us to stop, you know, Uh, even Mm -hmm. just thinking about today and Elon Musk buying, you know, Twitter for however much money, you know, and, and, and it's just that constant of, him always trying to get the next thing, do the next thing. And we don't stop and really think about the consequences of that, not only to uh, ourselves, but to other people, which is reflected in this movie. So you're seeing how they're kind of in their own minds, and I'm speaking of the camera crew, uh, they're kind of wrestling with the what Jamie was saying, what's right and what's wrong, but it's at the cost of other people dying. Mm-hmm. And you kind of think back, like, why would they choose to do this kind of documentary in the first place? And like we said earlier, is it because they don't take it that seriously to the extent where they don't think he's going to actually kill someone? Or is it that they're so engrossed in it that they're trying to, you know, get whatever good grade or uh, like Joshua was saying, kind of dig deeper uh, to get a result out of it? So it is an interesting thing to think about of, what does it take to, yes, you want to achieve all of your goals and all of your dreams and and things, but to what extent having, you know, harming other people or most importantly, harming yourself to the point where you can't even enjoy the thing that you get. (laughs) Because in this case, you know, half the camera crew is dead, so they're not going to enjoy the fruits of the labor. (laughs) They're gone, you know? Well, and I think the camera crew is more, um, they're more along the lines of the the toxic side because as I think about it, Leslie is truly enjoying life. And mm. there's like the moment where he gets shot for the first time. They're like, are you hurt? And he's like, no, it was great. <laughs> you know? And like, even, even when he decides to let the documentary crew go because their, their, their paths in life are, are not merging anymore. They're, they're going different ways. Mm. And he kind of angrily pushes them away and he takes a moment to come back and hug them and thank them and, and say goodbye. Like, I'm never going to see you again. Goodbye. Yeah. Like Leslie's truly 
taking the moments to to stop and smell the roses and and like enjoy his work um which is wild so here's a question that scene i actually have a question about that scene so awesome segue was that manipulation <coughs> was that because he knew he wanted mm. that camera crew was like as the actor, like, was that part of his, like, verbs that he was trying to play? Like, as the character, was that a manipulation to, like, make sure that they stayed in his net? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he got off on it in a big way, you know? Like, he definitely yeah. walked away and did, like, a big, like, yes, you know? Because he's yeah. crushing it. Mm-hmm. He's crushing his dream job. The entire movie. He yeah. really is. Wait, I love that perspective. This is a movie about getting your dream job. Yes. Yeah, and, and performing it. to the best of your ability. Yeah. Which is it's it's such and that's what makes the movie so great in a sense, is because you're rooting for this person in a way. And so you kind of you kind of don't know how to feel as a viewer watching this because you're taken away from the fact that oh, no, he's actually harming people. He is killing people. But he's so charismatic and so excited. And he's, and you think, oh, he's, he's so nice to let these people come and film him do, and tell all of his secrets, you know? <laughs> and you're just like, oh, this is such a great guy. Which segues into a question that I want to ask Jamie. Just <laughs> so many questions. But <laughs> let's just start off with, Leslie and his personality. And let's talk about just kind of diagnosis because we talk about psycho and sociopaths, which again, I will always remember from Scream. And in this sense, we're seeing this person who is caring and giving, and those are not necessarily signs that we've seen in our other talks about psycho and sociopaths. So how would you kind of meld that into uh, uh, any kind of diagnosis? And remind us, Stu is the psych, is the sociopath, the sociopath and yes. Billy is the psychopath. 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 Okay, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> In the like very, you know, slight differences between, between the two. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I will say that like, the the things that we are feeling as the viewer of like the the he's so charismatic and like seems so caring about certain things but like it's not actually surprising because you know if you're looking at characteristics of like antisocial personality disorder or like as we kind of get into the psychopath versus sociopath like you know being charismatic and 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 having the skills to manipulate others like it, it makes a lot of sense that we, that he, like, he's so endearing to us because like, that's, that is his, but like, we, we're operating under the assumption that he's feeling remorse, but like the reality is he probably isn't because of what he's, what his chosen career path right, is. Right. Um, and so, so I would, I would probably, it's so hard because I mean, it seems it seems as if he's like developing these these relationships with them but again you know it's all orchestrated and and not real for him it's real for them but it's not you know i mean i'm operating under an assumption that it's not real for him <laughs> yeah. um i i mean yeah i i guess i guess i would you know lean towards sociopath 
Also, mm. because he has the relationship um, with his colleague, um, yes. Eugene, um, that, like, there is, like, there can be some semi-relationships that still exist. Like, that is a, that's a relationship that they share. They're, they're peers. They admire each other's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, that's like a positive working relationship that they have with one another. And like, if you look at Eugene, he has a, he has a partner. So like that also, and it's presented in a way that's also like a very loving, I know you weren't asking about Eugene, but I'm also, no, but still, yes, do it. <laughs> um, but like, it's also presented as like a loving, healthy relationship that like yeah. that then kind of again, makes you wonder like, what is going on? Like, is that is that actually what's going on at face value? Is there something like manipulative going on? Mm. Um, I know like in the past we've talked a little bit about like Stockholm syndrome too. Like what else, you know, what other dynamics are at play that like we're not necessarily seeing. Um, But like there, she has so much like affection and care for, for her husband that, you know, it's like, is that real? Is that, you know, through some other, uh, power and control that he has over her, right, um, right. like emotionally, psychologically, we don't see any of that. That's not to say that it's not there, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm on the cusp of, of, um, saying that Leslie's is falling in the sociopath okay. category. I think there's one defining moment where he's killing either the camera guy or the sound guy towards the end. And he takes his mask off and the guy's like, it's me, Leslie, it's me. We've been like connecting yeah. this whole time. And Leslie, you can see his face cause his mask is taken off. Just kind of stares into his eyes curiously. Like, you know, this is a different way of death, you know, mm. like there's no, there's no pause. There's no like, Oh, you know, turmoil or anything. It's just curiosity of like, what will this one look like? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a great point because I think that's really highlighting like the, his true nature that this, he's no longer putting on the, he's no longer putting on the mask. mask. He literally takes off the mask. You see yes. his true self mm-hmm. and, and it is more about like, because I think that's, you know, when, when folks talk about like how are our sociopaths and psychopaths, like, you know, able to, uh, manipulate folks. And it's like using all of these tools and strategies, like, you know, folks can observe and take note and then, and then, and then act and like pretend to be yeah. empathetic and caring. And like, we are none the wiser because like we are, you know, inherently empathetic and caring. And so we're, we're seeing somebody else do this. We have no reason to believe that they, they aren't like us in that way. But, you know, when, <clears throat> when you, I don't work directly, like I haven't worked directly with anybody um, who like presents with antisocial personality disorder, but mm-hmm. like in, in you know, my studies and, and schooling and things like that, um, you know, there were, there were anecdotes about folks saying that they like observe other people, how they interact, um, like what, mm-hmm. what those like social relationships look like and, and then like mimic and can like copy and can can like present in that way. And, and, you know, again, like if we are, if we are believing it and taking it at face value, um, you know, we're like, no one's any the wiser. Yeah. That's so interesting to, to think about just the observing of others. And then that's how the manipulation tactics kind of come about. Now with that, that takes me to another question about in your experience or, or in your opinions, when 
people are diagnosed with any kind of mental illnesses, you know, we're kind of seeing it in the earlier stages uh, of, you know, childhood. But do you think that there is ever an instance where someone could be born with a sense of a type of mental illness where it only has negative effects or where, you know, and I, and I asked this in thinking about like the Michael Myers of it all, how mm-hmm. he was a young person who killed his sister, you know, and there were no kind of signs of anything. It was just a part of him. Uh, so I, I guess my question is more leaning towards, do you think that that can inherently just be a part of someone without having a traumatic experience or abusive parents in a like way? Like nature versus nurture? Yeah. Well, Nikisha, <laughs> just don't forget that evil dies tonight. <laughs> Can you say it about a hundred more times? It's not coming through. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll edit it in. <laughs> Every five minutes, it just plays. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, but no. I mean, I was even as you were talking about that, I was trying to think to like you know the other referenced serial killers in this world, um, like. Uh, um, Freddy Krueger. I mean, Freddy Krueger is alleged to abuse children. Um, mm. and like, where does that come from? Like, I mean, I, I'm trying to think, and I can't recall in any of the movies, them talking about like the lead up to him being who he is and who, like we know right. how he becomes. Well, he's, he's exacting revenge on the children of the people who burned him alive for being a pedophile, but we don't know why right. he was a pedophile. Right. right. So yeah. it's like yes. what was going on, like maybe he was a victim of abuse or, and like that is often I misspoke. Know, a he he wasn't a pedophile in the original. He was a child abuser. He was like a, aggressive and killed children, I believe, but I don't think he was sexually abusing them. Oh, that was the that was the reboot. That, that was they the like, reboot. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yes. that. Okay. Um <laughs> And, yeah. and that was – it was something I think that was explored early on, but um, uh, it, it was poo-pooed by the writer. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Mm. Yeah. He was like, what? <sighs> My brain went completely <laughs> blank. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. Like, mm-hmm. s- shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, how, like, where, where do these things come from? And then like, when there isn't a satisfactory explanation and as a, Mm -hmm. as we evolve in a chain, you know, when does it just become like, oh, it's just supernatural. Like there is no other, there's no other like nature versus nurture. It's just like, you know, the devil. And, but I, I mean, I think that you know, from a, from a mental health perspective, like mm-hmm. there's certainly things that, that do, you know, th- there's biological and, um, you know, other like genetic factors that can certainly influence mental health. And then, yeah. and then you also can have experiential. So like, I, I think it's definitely possible for, for it to kind of be either or. Um, I do think as like, I think it's harder, especially as you mentioned that like, you know, for, for children, you're not going to see a lot of these diagnoses because mm-hmm. like, you know, 
as mental health practitioners, we're, we're trying not to diagnose children. Um, but like, there are certainly things that you can like observe and, and take note of and see how things potentially progress. And like, if you're taking note, hopefully also like, are you trying to intervene? Are there interventions that you're like trying to implement to like, you know, change a course or like support somebody. And maybe some of those things are resolved. Yeah. Um, but maybe some of them are more challenging and, and like endure. And it's, you know, it, it's, it requires a much higher level of care potentially. Yeah. I think it's totally possible that you just get a totally randomly evil human being. Um, I, I think like, well, two things. One, I think if you believe in ghosts, you got to believe in some sort of like bad version of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like there's good and bad and maybe that's just a reflection of humans. So maybe we just push that aside, but I believe in ghosts. And so like supernatural kind of exists for me. But the other thing is like, if, if you're like a scientist and you have a wall of 4 billion chemicals and they're all relatively the same, right? They all have hands and arms and legs and faces and genitals, right? And you take two of them at random and you mix them together, chances are it's going to be fine. That you're going to get some other sort of like hand, arm, leg combination. But occasionally you're going to pick a random combination that explodes in your face, right? Like you, it mm. just like you just have to. That's mm-hmm, yeah. got to be part of it. I love so a I good know. pun in square. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about those in a very long time. Thank you for traumatizing me. You're welcome. My, my pleasure. Well, I, on that, I actually do want to say that his. I wrote it down, his line in the movie, uh, I choose to counterbalance the things good and pure, mm-hmm. was just like, a beautiful thesis statement of him just being very clear about his intention. That's what I like about this. He's not hiding any, aside from his like ultimate plan, he's not hiding anything about who he is. And like, that was actually very refreshing. I felt like I didn't need to learn anything. The only thing I learned about him, like the only thing that was revealed about him, I'll say is just like how incredibly smart he was, but we already knew he was smart. It was just like kind of leveling up in a way. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, I thought that his, he was making a choice to be the counterbalance. Right. It came from deep inside, like his calling. Um, but mm-hmm. like, I like that he, he admitted to the fact that he is, I am choosing this lifestyle, this career. So let me toss this in. He's such a cheerful guy. Right. And we we're so curious about like, is that real? Is he a sociopath? Is he a psychopath? Um, but is that a little window into him being just a good guy in a way? Because without evil, there's no balance for good, right? Without bad, there's no balance for happy, you know, without sad. Mm-hmm. And so is he looking at the world and being like, the world can be infinitely more beautiful, if someone just takes one for the team and does something so awful. That is Love absolutely it. fair because it is also <laughs> the sense of things that, that make you happy, you know, I don't, it's the idea of the things are sweeter with the bad, you know, it's how good is this experience if it were not for the, the peaks and valleys you went through to get to the thing that made you happy. You know, and it also just reminds me of if anybody watches The Good Place, when, and I hope this is not spoiling anything, but just the idea of heaven and when they're there and everyone is miserable because everything is so perfect all of the time, 
And that just kind of you, you talking about that, it just reminded me of the sense of it is good to have that balance of, of good and evil. So maybe yeah. Leslie Vernon is the hero. In- <laughs> yeah. Utopia's torture. Kill your neighbor. You know? <laughs> I, uh, I do not. I'm not advocating we any not sort of harm. Or- <laughs> also, can we, I also want to talk about the end a little bit and ha- like mm. how with the phallic and the ionic kind of like, um, uh, symbolism that like is subconscious in other slashers versus this one where like it is mentioned it is it is presented to us we talk about the maze versus the knife and the things that enter those things like and we talk about final girls and all of that stuff and and i feel like this does a really good job of uh presenting all of that and making a final third of a movie whether you think it's predictable or not a little bit more layered and interesting in this one. Um, mm. I have no real question there. I just want to kind of bring it up and 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 let us talk about genitalia, I guess. So what was the story with his mother? Because I remember the scene where he was like, if you listen carefully, you can hear her still swinging in the trees. Um, and then he's like, I'm kidding. And we're like a month out from that. <laughs> yes. Um, and, then, and then he talks about like the womb and the birth canal. Yes. And then like, I feel like the mother thing comes back at the end, right? Yeah, because... I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys watch this today. Um, the the story that we learn from like the from from Miss Poltergeist is that like he the, the the urban legend is that like like Psycho he was um, the mom was dating somebody he killed them right. both and then he and then he killed and hung the mother in the field or something like that so like uh. so that he like the 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 urban legend is that like he kind of did that a la Norman Bates. Um, uh, I, th- I, I think that's what happened, but I think there's also, they're also the false, I don't know if it's true or not, but like that he was being abused by them. And like, that was his revenge. That's on them what they as did. Well. Yes. Yeah. He was treated badly is what they said because mm. he was a bastard child that they were really mean to him. And he went back and killed both of them. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I will say I've never heard the term uh, Yannick, and I kind of feel like embarrassed, but slightly not embarrassed because, you know, we're all learning things every day. So the fact that the opposite of phallic was Yannick in my 32 years of living, that was an interesting factoid to uh, witness (laughs) and hear about. And also just the idea, because you don't really think about that concept in other horror movies, the sense of nobody's grabbing a gun. They're all grabbing axes or, you know, whatever is there, usually because it's in a tool shed and there's no nobody's hiding their guns in the in the tool shed. So <laughs> you grab what you can to survive. But yeah, it is a it is an interesting concept of an extra layer added to what was already a really good movie, but they said, let's give you some more kind of like context and, and things. Well, and it's a really important theme, too, because if you look back at some of the earlier slashers, um, especially if you look at Slumber Party Massacre, um, mm-hmm. it's literally a story about a bunch of half-naked women getting drilled by a man. And the poster is literally the drill between the guy's legs with the girl cowering on the ground. Like, it's extremely mm-hmm. literal. And it was actually written, directed, produced, edited by women. Um who also had to meet quotas for how many boobs they showed. Um, so it's not a perfect film. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, I, that, that imagery is there of the, the penetration like from the beginning. And I love how this kind of flips it and makes it this like motherly 
loving thing, especially because it fits in with his story. Like he didn't get that from mom. So he's creating the womb. He's creating the birth canal to birth his own story to its completion. Yeah. Um, That's great. And one of my, one of something I just found, I don't really have a question again, but I have a fast and something that fascinated me during this one is in the horror movies. So he just, and let me know if this makes sense. He describes the final girl or the, the, the survivor girl of all of these like famous slashers that are in their universe, but he's describing it as we, as movie buffs, movie fans, movie absorbers, um, would see it. But like in reality, let's say in the, in the, in the reality of this story, uh, Jason, Freddie, um, Michael, all these, they didn't want Lori to get away. They didn't want these, these women to get away. They wanted to kill all of them. Um, so like, it's very interesting that like the, in the context of this movie versus like how they're describing it versus like actually watching the movie and knowing the rules was, that was a fascinating for me, a fascinating kind of like uh, uh, um, Venn diagram almost. And like that middle part is kind of what is the off thing about those two things. I thought that was fascinating. I think that's a generational thing again, because I think the story there is that the original slashers, the guys who did it first, the guys who Leslie did just like die, is dying to be, they paved the way and they didn't know that they wanted the final girl to survive. They were just doing their thing. They were just killing Fair. mostly women and some guys who also had sex and did drugs. You know, they were just like <laughs> plowing through these communities of youngsters. And, um, and, and it was maybe the discovery after coming back for the fifth or sixth time of like, well, if they keep winning, I keep to keep coming back, you know, and eventually they retire and they get families and, you know, white picket <laughs> fence and all that. And Leslie's like, holy crap, that's how you do it. That's how people are able to afford buying houses mm-hmm. is you keep <laughs> coming back. And that's because you got to pick the right final girl so that she keeps killing you. Yes. Because that is the only way to get a house in this economy. So, <laughs> in this economy, in this you're economy. right. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I know we can talk so much more about this, but we should, uh, for time's sake, move on to our guess the Rotten Tomatoes. It's the Rotten Tomatoes game. I'm so nervous. <laughs> It's I'm okay. so nervous because of how much I love this film, but I'm trying to like, oh, okay, well, it was an indie. Manage oh, expectations. Well, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. That's here we go. <laughs> what do you think? We play pl- Price is Right rules here. Um, yeah, I was going to say $1. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. What do you think? We go with the, we go with, we go with like the critics uh, version, not the audience score. I'll read them both. We're going, we're going um, critics. Um what do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, Jamie, why don't you go first? Um, I'm going to say 63. All right. Ooh. Nikisha? I was going to say 74. <laughs> okay. Uh, Josh? I'm get it too safe. <laughs> Are you also going to guess or you already saw No, it? I know what it is. Okay, then I'm going to say 75. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This because is... I actually think it's like 88. But Okay, so we have a 63, a 74, and a 75. Guys, <laughs> it's a 76. <gasps> <gasps> <No! laughs> 
Wow. Wow. I really thought it was an 88. So, you know, if someone had said 84, I would have said 85. So Fair. It's a 76. Actually, the audience score is a 75. So you nailed that one. Um, there you go. But uh, the critical consensus reads a smart mockumentary that presents a gory, funny, and obviously affectionate skewering of the slasher genre. Yeah. Yeah. This is pretty, it's pretty accurate. Pretty fucking fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should we <laughs> cool. do uh, the four S's? Yes. Yes. Skull, scare, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horns, four S's. Okay. For those of you listening for the first time, the four S's are skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. We go through each one of these and rank them one through ten, then give our suggestion of something that you might find, like, in a Walmart two-pack with this one. Um, So we are going uh, with – we'll start with skulls first. Um, This is to rank how this did uh, with mental health and human behavior, one through ten. Jamie, let's start with you. Um, I, uh, I'm really struggling with this for some of the things that I was saying earlier of like, what do I think is going on with some of the characters and the choices that they're making? Mm-hmm. But I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go with a five, um, because of like, you know, the turning point And, and I think that there's more believable choices that people are making in that, in that flip. Um, that kind of raises the score for me. Cool. Nikisha? Yeah, I was thinking around a six. Just with the conversation, I think the conversation about uh, what you would do to achieve like your work goals and dreams was a, was a good conversation that I think is believable. So yeah, I'll give it a six. Cool. Uh, Josh? Uh, I went a little bit higher. I went with seven. Um, I knocked it down a few points because of like the stoner guys. Um, I, I thought they were like over the top, just like unbelievable. Um, and some of the documentary crew, I thought, you know, were not well-rounded human being characters. They were more like movie characters, but I knocked it back up a little bit because you, you have the like, oh, you think the, you know, the virgin, you know, you make this assumption about her because of the way she looks and and you mm-hmm. learn that she's actually just like a woman, um, you know, and like, so stuff like that kind of bumps it back up for me a little bit. So I'm sitting around a seven. Yeah, I've been doing with a six for very similar reasons. Um, I think that I, I the uh, Leslie stuff on his side and how they presented to him with especially like with the magic and all of that, like I just it adds so much more layers and characters that we're actually digging into it. And the documentary, they do a good job of like, picking the right footage to show to like build this character. Um, But on the flip side of it, I definitely think that um, I had a really hard time. I mean, I didn't actually mention this, but I had a really hard time justifying the fact that these film students would keep going along with this and that they watched them kill the librarian and stuff. But like the first time they actually like say, Oh, we shouldn't do this is when they're in the house and things are starting to happen. Um, that was a little bit hard for me to buy into, like in terms of like what actual people would do on that side. But then the twist mm-hmm. of like the director actually being the final girl and she's the virgin. And the idea that we, we based on what we're viewing and looking at, we just assume that one was the other one. So I, I went with the six because I think those counterbalance each other interestingly. So I think it did knock it down a little bit. For 
If the librarian had gotten away because of Robert England with the gun, would your number have been higher? No, mm-hmm. I, I think it was just like there was actual danger. Like he was actually going to he premeditated potentially killing her. Mm-hmm. So I think that like even if she didn't die, I think that like his intention going in because he even says in the van like, hey, you can back out now. And and <laughs> like but like they also just like heard all of his crazy things before this. So I, I, that that that's the scene that kind of like. The, the twist in this movie made everything okay because of how brilliant the second act also was. All right, yeah. let's go to scares. How scary was this movie, Jamie? Mm, I'm going to give it a three, mostly not for like any, you know, outrageous jump scares, but more for like the tension that I think is is there and palpable throughout most of it. Nikisha? Yeah, I was going to give it a two. Uh just there's a little bit of blood, but no jump scares. I was just in it to win it. Full eyes open, <laughs> ready for everything. Yeah. Clear eyes, full hearts, lose your guts. <laughs> uh, uh, Josh? Um, I'm like teetering between a 3.5 and a 4, and it's only because I'm a, I am make documentaries for a living, <laughs> and the idea of not knowing that person you know, what they're going to do. You never know what someone's going to do. You don't know what the story is until you're done filming. And so, um, and especially I travel internationally too. And so I end up in situations where it's me, an incredibly expensive camera on my shoulder in, um, an incredibly poor area with like a bunch of people, you know, and, um, I try not to be alone in those situations, but I have been a couple of times and there's trust that you need and you need to be able to read your situation. And the fact that someone could be that manipulative that you just don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that just starts, you know, spiraling my brain into like, well, what if it's the person you love? You know, what if it's your father? What if it's your son? You know, so that stuff is the stuff that will stick with me late at night. Um, which is the only reason I would give it a four, but I would let uh, my parents watch this. I would let a 13 year old watch this, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the three. There was some, not a ton of jump scares, but it really made me very uneasy the whole time. Um, him specifically, just like, he just, he's so charismatic, but then there's that, like, you're just waiting for the last straw to hit the camel's back. And like, I think the movie does that very well, especially when flipping between, uh, the campy horror scenes in the documentary piece. Um, shakes. How much are you going to shake this off? Is this a one and done situation? Is this a, like, I'm going to rewatch this or like, I'm going to not stop thinking about this. This is one that I'm going to suggest to everyone. Uh, Jamie, one through 10. I think I'm going to go with an eight. I like Ooh. want to introduce this to all of my friends um, because I also don't think that it's like, for a lot of my friends are not into scary movies, but I feel like this isn't like so terrifying that it's a barrier for other people to see it. And I think you can get folks in on like the black comedy of it to, to watch it. So I like, I'm going to, I'm going to push this one. I'm going to push it hard. (laughs) Uh, Nikisha. Yeah. I'm going to give it a nine for that same reason. I have five people in mind already that I want to just suggest this movie to, because it's, it's fantastic. And only because it, Watching it, I felt one way, and then at the end of it, I felt the complete opposite way, and so it's it will stay with me for a long time. Yeah, uh, Josh, 
I, I wrote down 10. I, I think this is in my top. It's definitely in like my top 20 all time favorite movies. And the, the reason I would go that high is because I'm, I, I'm strategic. One, I can't stop thinking about it. And two, I'm strategically planning how to show it to a single person or two people at a time so I can rewatch it every time with them and mm, share yeah. that experience of them seeing it for mm. the first time. Mm-hmm. I will watch this endlessly. Um, and, and like you were saying, Brian, the, the, the more I dive into the slasher world for the first time, the more this movie is going to mean to me because there's so many hidden secrets in it. Totally. Uh, I'm giving this a nine. Um, this is like, I feel like the, this is just so good. Like this is like an easy one to suggest. Like, this is up there with some of the great ones we've recently watched, like I, like well, his house, um, mm. Night House. I like a lot of house films, I guess. Um, <laughs> like houses and parlors. Yeah, Hell House. <laughs> oh yeah, parlors. Yeah. Houses and parlors. Oh my god, give me a good parlor scene. <laughs> like oh my gosh, like we all go a little mad sometimes. Um, god. Uh, cool. All right. So next up, we have uh, 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 your suggestions, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll say our goodbyes. So. Um, what are your suggestions? What would you suggest to go along with this? What is the entree to this appetizer or this appetizer to uh, an entree? Uh, Jamie, we'll start with you. Oh, I have so many. Uh, <laughs> so I had some that I wrote down and then I thought of another one while we were talking. Um, so apologies if I have... So I'm getting ready to cross it. ones off my list. I know, so I know. Know. It's like a bingo card. Okay, so I started with Cabin in the Woods as a film that is like meta and exploring just like the meta of, of um, you know, tropes in horror and, uh, yeah, so like not slasher per se, but I think, you know, black comedy, meta, all in. Um Another one that I thought of uh, was Creep. Uh, again, you know, creepy vibes, uh, documentary. Um, also kind of like, I mean, we don't know until later on, but like the filming leading up to another murder. Um, so I, I thought that one was good. Um, and then the one that I was thinking about, or the one that I thought of while we were talking um, with starry eyes. Cause I was thinking about oh. like, what do you like, you know, what do you do for your like perfect job, your career? Like what are all the things that like, how much of yourself do you put into it? And, and what are all the things you're going to do to like, make sure that you, you know, get the outcome that you're looking for. Um, so that, that was my third one. Love it. Absolutely. Uh, Nikisha, what do you got? This movie I've not seen, but it's been coming up on, uh, my, cues and such for streaming services the taking of deborah logan and uh it's mockumentary not mock well documentary kind of style of of filming but definitely a lot more it seems like in the trailer more serious and a lot more gory and such so i'm excited to watch it but it seems like that'll be good if you like the mockumentary doc type style I love that pairing because Leslie Vernon is like the the sun is setting, but it's like still kind of daylight out. And then the mm. feature, the scary one, is after the lights go out. Yeah, oh, that's absolutely. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Josh, what do you have? 
Okay, I have a lot. Um, but this is kind of what I do all day. So um, I think for ones, you said like what's in the two pack. I think ones that would be in the two pack are either Scare Package um, or Jack Brooks Monster Slayer. Because Jack Brooks Monster Slayer, if you haven't seen it, has similar comedic tones to it. And Robert England's mm-hmm. also got um, a, a lead player role in that one. Nice. Um, uh, that one's amazing. For mockumentary, though, if we were going straight mockumentary, I just watched one called Butterfly Kisses on Tubi. Um, that's a documentary within a documentary within a documentary about an <laughs> urban legend, and it works so well because you start out being like, what the hell am I watching? And by the end, you're like, is this real? Wait a second. Um, Digging Up the Marrow is also kind of like that, but that one's got more creatures in it. Um, and then I said, if you didn't like this at all, go watch anything for Jackson. Nice. <laughs> okay. Um, I have two. Um, uh, if you want documentary, Hell House LLC is one of my favorite um, uh, horror document or, or mockumentaries, excuse me. Um, and then uh, I think a good one to pair with this is Final Girls. Um, a mm. little bit. I haven't seen that. A little more campy. Uh, not not a mockumentary in any way, but um, definitely more campy. But it, you get those Easter eggs um, uh, with more of like a, a Jason type storyline. Um, so I would go with that. I have one more thing I have to say because I forgot to say it at the top with my likes and gripes. Um, but it's actually neither. It's actually a counter to my first gripe was that there was not a sequel. And I was looking mm-hmm. on IMDb, kind of like scouring through everybody's IMDb and seeing what else they had been in to see if there were any like gems there. And I went to Nathan Basil's IMDb page and was trying to say, like, I thought he was fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. He plays Leslie. And, um, <clears throat> And uh, I scrolled to the very top after going through his few short credits through television and a couple of movies. And at the top was B4TM. And he's credited as Leslie Vernon. And I can only imagine oh. that stands for Before the Mask. Uh, so we may be getting a prequel. All it says is announced. Ooh. There's no other information. Um, but sounds like he's attached. So Ooh. fingers crossed. Oh, man. That would be awesome. We'll have to have you back. You're right. Absolutely. You can have me back anytime. This is so fun. Only if that movie is made do you come back on this podcast. Oh, man. I've got to contribute to the Kickstarter. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I'm back, but I'm bankrupt. I produced this film. (laughs) Yes. Fantastic. Well, I think that wraps up this episode of Talking Horror. Thank you so much, Josh, for being with us. Uh, Where can they follow you on all of the social medias? I'm haunting season on everything. Um, The Instagram's whatever. The TikTok (laughs) is where you can get movie reviews and and some more of my personality. Uh, And if you want to hear some cool interviews that I've done or you want to hear some scary stories that I've written, you can find those either on my YouTube channel or on podcasts haunting season everywhere and uh, it's Beautiful. everything is listed in the description of this episode so if you're listening um it's all there we link out to your page where you have everything so you can find everything there awesome well you can follow us as always at talk horror pod pod on all of the social medias be sure to check out our tiktok too brian is giving out some really cool interactive things on there so make sure you follow us on there and brian where can they listen to us sure you can listen to us wherever you get podcasts things like stitcher spotify and of course apple Podcasts. rate and review us there five stars please 
And thank you. And thank you. <laughs> Anybody have any sign-off quotes that they would like to uh, share for this wonderful Leslie Vernon? See ya. <laughs> I'm still thinking about Punnett Squares. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. Fantastic. Well, thank you all. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.